0: Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. I'm going to be reading um, our passage as, as well as a, a supplementary passage as Jason uh, comes up to preach here in just a moment. I'll be reading from Colossians 3 and verse 17, and then I'll flip over to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Colossians 3, uh, verse 17 which is up there also up here on the TV. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God bless the reading of his word. Well, I, I still remember the, uh, the first time I saw Paige. Some of you ever have heard this story. It wasn't far from here. It was actually at a little Christmas party back in 2006 um, up at Wyuka Terrace, um, uh, just right over off Wyuka And um, I, was, I was actually living in Louisville at the time, hanging out with Jesse Leitenheimer, planning dates for him. And... Um, I uh, was at this Christmas party, and all these people I was there that I knew from college, and it was a great party, and I walk across, or look across the room, and this girl had walked in, and I was like, man, I have, that girl is gorgeous, and I got to get to know her, and, and she wasn't just gorgeous, she didn't just look gorgeous, you know, she just seemed cool. Every time, when she would walk up to someone, they like would light up, they were excited to see her. And so there was this one moment in the party, there was this bay window there, and uh, Paige was just standing there, you know, alone. It was, I had been waiting, you know, for my moment. And so I quickly walk up to her and I try to, you know, make uh, some small talk, try to talk to her a little bit. And and then, you know, like one minute into our conversation, I hadn't gotten her name, I hadn't gotten her number, a, a girlfriend of hers pulled her away. And it wouldn't be for two years. It would take two years before I would see her uh, or be able to talk to her again after that or come in touch with her, you know, come in contact with her again. And if you wanna hear the rest of the story, you'll have to come back next week. But I, I tell you, I tell you that uh, just to, to prove as if you didn't already know that I, I am a true romantic, guys. I mean, I, I love a good love story. Um, uh, I, I love that I the fact that I am in love. I mean, it's just awesome. And, you know, the truth is, we all love a good love story, right? I mean, just think about the movies, think about music, think about fiction books. If you didn't have love stories, like all of these industries, basically, would dry up. I mean, everybody loves a, a good love story. We, we like to think about human relationship and particularly uh, this idea of love and marriage. And, and so I'm really excited about... The next four weeks, we're going to be talking about Marriage from a theological, biblical worldview. Now, some of you, everybody here is coming to this sermon series from different places. Some of you are married, and this is going to be a good sermon series for you. Hopefully, it'll be edifying to your marriage, life-giving for your marriage. Some of you uh, are not yet married, right? But you hope to be married someday. Uh, maybe even you're even preparing for marriage. You might be engaged, or you might be single, and you're like, "Look, I really want to get married." This is again great. Sermon series for you uh, to be thinking ahead to understand uh, marriage, to understand what God's design for marriage is. Some of you have been married and you're thinking, oh man, I don't want to hear about marriage. Um, some of you will never, you, you plan to never be married, you feel called to, to be single. Um, And I just want to say, even for you, the, the, the idea of marriage as just a paradigm, as an idea, as a design, is actually incredibly helpful as we're going to see through this series in helping us to know God and his gospel more deeply. And so tonight I want to begin just at the beginning and ask the question, talk about the purpose of marriage. Why in God's infinite wisdom? Did he design this institution? What is God's purpose? What is his main purpose in creating marriage? Why is this so important? And author Ed Wheat says that marriage is the most valuable institution on earth. And and maybe it is. And if that's true, then okay, then we need to understand this and understand what was God doing when he made marriage. Uh, throughout this series in, in some of our community groups, not all of our community groups will be going along with this, but we're going to have uh, some curriculum that is written accompanying Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, came out you know, five or six years ago. Really, really helpful book, um, and so you can pick this up. But one of the quotes that he talks about in here, and this, is, this quote is wider than this book. Um, it, it's, it's cited by many people. It's a brilliant quote by a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. He he said it way back in 1984, actually. So it's it's an old quote, but it's incredibly telling for the moment we're in. And he says this. He says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic. Okay, remember that phrase. Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment. Necessary for us to become whole or happy. The assumption is, is that there is someone just right for us to marry. And that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. And isn't this true? There is this assumption out there in our culture that there is your soulmate out there somewhere. That you will find, to quote Jerry Maguire, someone who will complete you. And the problem with that in today's world is there is an enormous amount of pressure if you're just out looking for that person, that one person that will make you whole and happy and complete. You know, when my great-grandfather got married, he grew up in a little town, Huxford, Alabama. There were only like 12 girls marriage age in the entire town that he had to choose from, right? So he had to pick one of those 12 to be his soulmate, right? You know, by the time my dad was getting married, a couple generations later, you know, he went to a big public high school, he went to college. And so, you know, maybe he knew 10,000 girls that he could have potentially within the range of his marriage age that he could have potentially married. But again, today, if you're trying to find a spouse today with... You know, social media, with planes, with the ease of travel, with dating apps. I mean, there are potentially millions and millions of guys, or millions and millions of girls. And so, if you're feeling this, I gotta find my soulmate. I gotta find the right one. I gotta find the best one. Well, there is an enormous amount of pressure. And and what Howard wants is saying is this: this is self-fulfillment ethic. This is saying, I want to find the right one for me. I want to find that one's going to complete my particular story here. And he says that this is destructive to marriage. He goes on, and this is helpful. He says, the moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect of marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. He says, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if at first we marry the right person... Just give it a while, and he or she will change. And this is interesting, too. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is means we are not the same person after we have entered it. Now, that's an amazing thing to think about that you single people aren't ready for. Your spouse changes like day one, right? Maybe like day nine, after you get back from the honeymoon. Things start to change. you got like eight good days, and then it changes. No, I'm just kidding. Because goes, the primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Here's the deal on marriage, guys. No one out there is perfect, and you're not perfect. And no one out there is perfect for you, and you're certainly not perfect for anyone. I ultimately want you to hear this. God's design and purpose in marriage is not to make you or to make me happy. It's not, we don't get married so that we can be whole and complete human beings. We don't get married so that we can be happy human beings. God's purpose in marriage is not primarily your happiness. And this speaks to you if you're married, and it speaks to you if you're single. God's purpose in marriage primarily is to bring himself glory. And this one fact this one truth, if you believe what I just said, that God's purpose in marriage, and as Blake read earlier, if his purpose in everything that we do is to bring himself glory, it will revolutionize the way you understand singleness. It'll understand the revo- it'll totally revolutionize the way you understand marriage. It'll totally revolutionize the way you understand everything. It will recenter your life. You know, a long time ago, people thought that the earth was the center of The universe, the center of the solar system. And then along came this guy Copernicus and he realized that can't be true. You know why he knew that? Is because he was watching the heavenly bodies and he was watching the planets. And he was like, look, if the earth is the center of the universe, then none of these things are in line. None of these things make sense. They don't have any pattern that we can look at. And so he discovered by understanding their patterns, how things line up, that the sun is the center of the solar system, obviously. You know, astronomers later came on and realized from other stars that the sun can't be the center of the universe. But they realized, he at least realized that the sun is the center of the solar system. And when that is right, when when you have your understanding of the solar system that way then all of a sudden the orbits of the planets, then all of a sudden the movement of the galaxies around the earth make a ton of sense. And I think my hope for us tonight, and and look for every night that we worship, is that we would have this Copernicus moment where we'd go from seeing the world primarily as something that is about us and our happiness and our story That we go from seeing ourselves at the center of everything to to truly seeing God and his glory and his story and his worth at the center of everything, including our lives. And that is particularly important if you ever want to understand marriage. Now, I I want to spend a little time tonight, more than we're going to spend in in the other sermons we're going to do on this, talking about singleness. And so I, I got two kind of main points tonight and then maybe a third. First, the glory of God in singleness. And then secondly, the glory of God in marriage. I'm, I'm a simple man here, guys. So the glory of God in singleness. When you're in church, and hopefully not in this church, but I think in a lot of church kind of cultures, you can kind of feel like a second-class church member if you're single. It's, uh, it's kind of this mentality of like, oh, good, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you'll meet someone get married, and then you can apply for full church membership at that time. I, and again, no one says this out loud. We don't, you know, we don't say this. In our, and again, I hope that you never feel this way at Christ's covenant. But you can kind of feel this way in church. Like the real church members, again, the, the, the Stanley Hauerwas, the whole people that are really living life, those are the people that are married. Now, I just want to say, many of you who are single, who are here, will likely get married someday. And again, this is a really good sermon series for you. I've never heard anyone who is married thinking, you know what, I had way too much understanding of the institution of marriage before I got married. (laughs) So this is a great thing for you to be thinking about getting uh, ahead. Some of you that are here tonight that are single, you won't be married. And again, I still think it's a great thing For you to think about these things, something that I don't want to happen to any of us, married or single, is for marriage to become an idol for you. Marriage can be a big idol for Christian people. Married people and single people, maybe especially single people. You know, and I just want to say, you know, I I feel this for some of you, some of you young single people. You know, you're not out, hopefully, kind of like living the Buckhead dream. You're, You're trying to follow the Lord. And you're thinking, you know what? This is lame. But one day I'm going to get married, and it's going to be great. Or some of you are kind of outliving the Buckhead dream, but you're also trying to follow the Lord, and there's incredible conviction. And you're like, I wish I could stop doing this, but you know what? You're like, I, I, you know, when I get married, then all my problems will go away, and then following Christ will be easy. And I just want to say, don't, don't let marriage be an idol like that. In, in that scenario, marriage has become this like, righteous factory that makes you whole and good. Yeah, but for some of you, you, you are here tonight and you want to get married because you're just, you're just lonely. You may be a gal. You want to have children. You've always had this dream. And look, I, I get that. And, and these are good desires. And I understand loneliness. And I understand, you know, n- being tired of being the bridesmaid, you know, one more time. You know. Especially for you gals. I mean, being the maid of honor is like a full-time job. Groomsmen, you just have to show up two hours before the wedding for pictures. That's it. You're tired of being alone. You're tired of being the cool aunt or the cool uncle. You're tired of hanging out with your married friends and all they want to do is talk about their kids. And again, it's not wrong to desire marriage and to desire a company, you know, great company and companionship. But just don't make marriage an idol. Remember this God designed you, God designed all of you for his own glory and God working out his glory in your life does not begin when you say, I do, right? That's not when it's like, okay, now I'm married, now I am have to live for the glory of God, no. God desires to use you as a single person if you're single just for a season or if you're gonna be single for the rest of your life. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, be single, be married for the glory of God. So a few things to think about if you're single. And the first one, and again, these things are obvious things, but they're worth meditating on. And especially if you're here tonight and you're single, I've been single and I I needed to meditate on these things more. First thing is that Jesus is better than marriage. Some of my family's best friends, literally like the 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 oldest family friends we have, that they grew up on one side, one the, the man grew up on one side of my grandfather. The woman grew up on the other side of my grandfather, or my grandfather. So they were a couple, they got married when they were 17 and 15. So my mother's father, they grew up on either side, a little town called Sugarlock, Mississippi, which is a little, little town. Al knows where it is, but it's a little town. They grew up there, ended up uh, getting married 17 and 15, really close family friends. I mean, the kind of family friends, I, call, I called him Granddaddy Ernie. I called her Grandmommy Ellen. I mean, this is like that kind of family friend. They ended up moving to Huntsville. I knew them my entire life. He died a couple of years ago. She's still living, but they were married, I think for 75 years. I mean, just, ama- I mean, 75 years. He died in, I think it was 91 or something. I, maybe I'm a little wrong on the math, but it was a long time. And they had the sweetest marriage they had the best marriage and they really loved each other and it's hard to think about one without thinking about the other and they were just wonderful wonderful people but I just want to say as great as that was as wonderful as that marriage was it was only 75 years long and you know what as good as it was and as many happy times they had they had a lot of hard times they faced a lot of pain And there was a lot of hardship and as deeply as they loved one another and as much as they wanted to please one another, they were very limited people. But I want you to hear this. Jesus is eternal. Our relationship with Jesus isn't 75 years or even 175 years. It's like 75 billion years. It's eternal. It goes on and on forever. It is not limited in any way. It's not limited by anything. And I sort of say this, if, you, if you're making marriage an idol, at best, and if you're not married yet and you're already in your 20s, you're not going to hit 75 years, guys, so sorry, you know. At best, you're going to get maybe like a 60-year marriage, okay? At best. Your life is so small and so short compared to your life with Jesus, compared to the kingdom of Christ. You know what James says? I love this. My favorite Bible verses, James says, your life is like a mist, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know what your whole life is? Here's what your whole life is, ready, you ready? Here's your whole life. That's it, that's your life. There it is, that's everything. You know what your marriage is? Because it's a little shorter, it's like. That's, That's everything. Marriage is as wonderful as it is, as gray as it is. It's small, it's short. It's temporary, it's limited. You know, you may be a single guy here, you want a wife, you want a girl that's gonna stand by you and love you. And I understand that, but listen, I just want you to hear this. If you're in Christ, then you have the savior of the world. You have the one who rules over the entire cosmos who says, I love you and I'll never leave you and I'm with you. Who loves you with the kind of love that even the most loving wife is incapable of of even scratching the surface of that kind of love. You may be a woman here today, and you want a man that's strong. You want a man that can protect you and care for you. But I want you to hear this. if if Every man, the the, the strongest, most tough dude in here is so limited (laughs) and compared to the one who spoke the planets into being. Who loves you? and who has plans for your life and who is caring for you and protecting you and has plans that go beyond even your death. You may be a guy in here and you want a companion. You know, I always had this thought when I was a single guy, I would go do something really cool and I'd be like, man, I wish Mrs. D's was here to enjoy this with me. There was no Mrs. D's, but I was imagining, you know, I wish Mrs. D's was here to enjoy. I would call them Mrs. D's moments. In fact, this will prove for This is for Jason Byers. This will prove how much of a romantic I was. I would be like in a really cool place. Like I remember once I was in Scotland and I was having a Mrs. D's moment. And I would like buy little gifts for the future Mrs. D's. Even though I didn't know her. And then I gave them to Paige the day we got engaged. And you know, I mean, amazing. Yes, I know. <laughs> but look. I want you to hear this, as great of a companion as a wife is, and and I love my wife, and we have an incredible relationship, Jesus is a better companion, a closer friend, a more unfailing companion that you can really know if you'll pursue him, if you'll pursue his word, if you'll pursue prayer, and you can find so much joy in knowing him. You may be a single girl and you just want to be pursued. you You want a guy to come after you, to love you, I just want you to say, if you're in Christ, don't you realize how you've been pursued in Christ? Don't you realize that Jesus, who was rich, became poor? Don't you realize that Jesus, who was in his Father's presence, left all of that and underwent all the miseries, to quote the old catechism of this world? Don't you realize that he pursued you through pain and hardship and betrayal and suffering? Don't you realize that he pursued you even to the point of death, death on a cross? That there's no love story that compares with that. It's unparalleled, as great as marriage is, and I love being married, and I feel like I have the best marriage, but listen, Jesus is better than marriage. Even the best marriages are short. Even the most loving and healthy marriages are limited, but not Jesus. The second thing I want you to remember, if you're single, Jesus is better than marriage. The second thing I want you to remember, and there's some subpoints to this, is there is value in being alone. And, and I, I don't want you to waste your singleness. There is value in, in this moment that you're in right now. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually says to the unmarried, I say to you, don't get married. <laughs> stay as I am. And of course he has mission, he has kingdom service in mind for this. He's saying you're all called to live for God's glory and there's actually advantages to you who are not married. And just a couple of things, and again this is just some things that I came up with just thinking about this, being married, or being single rather, gives you an enormous amount of freedom. You know how much coordination, I'm married with three children. You know how much coordination it takes for me to do anything, right? I try to plan something with another family, and it is like, I mean, an act of Congress just to get dinner with another couple. I mean, there is just so much, so many hazards once you have children in marriage. But if you're single, I'm not saying you're unencumbered, but you're so much more free, you're so much more free to serve. We're talking about service. You're so much more free to have relationships and be in community groups. You're so much more free. You know, think, about, think about the Leidenheimers. They went on the mission field. I guess y'all did have some children, but they felt called before they had children. And it was so much easier for them to transition over there without all these kids. than now if they would had three children, you know, it would have been a much more difficult decision to decide to go with kids plugged into school, plugged into all these things. So look, don't be too free. You know, some single people I see, they never really give themselves anything. They never, they never commit to anything. They never join a church. They never give themselves any sort of ministry because they love being free. But realize that freedom is, is a gift. Second uh, good of being alone is relational margin. You know, again, as a married person with children, you get a lot of relationship. I mean, my kids need me. I feel like I never have time for my kids and my wife and everybody you know, needs me all the time. And, and I wanna be available for what God has called me to do, available for discipling. Of course, God has called me to those ministries. But I just wanna say that as a single person, realize that God has given you an amazing amount of relational margin that you can use for his glory. There's this amazing passage, so Isaiah 53, very famous Christian passage, Jesus talks it's talk about the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, by his stripes we have been healed. The very next passage, Isaiah 54, It's it's a reflection, it's a response to Isaiah 53, that this Messiah has come, that has done this for us, that has set us free, that that has healed us from our sins, that has called us into life with God. And then Isaiah 54 begins this way, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud for you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means this, because of what Jesus has done, the work of Christ and the cross and resurrection has changed everything. And it's changed the way that we even understand family. Before Jesus, family was primarily biological. Now, after Christ, family is primarily spiritual. Your relationships in Christ, I want you to hear this, your relationships in Christ are more eternal and are more significant than your relationships even with your biological family. Your spiritual relationships will go on forever. Your spiritual relationships are anchored in something that cannot be moved. And what this is saying is, because Jesus has changed everything, your spiritual family, your spiritual children, can be so significant, can be so much. The the barren one will have more children than the one who is married that the barren one, her womb will be more full than the one whom is married. What is this saying? This is saying what I'm saying. As a single person, you have so much disciple-making margin that that your womb may be more full, that your children in Christ may be more full than someone who is married, who is encumbered by marriage and children. remember, Remember when the brothers and mother of Jesus came to him. This is a shocking passage. In three of the gospels, the brother and mother of Jesus come to Jesus and the disciples say, hey, your mother's here, your brothers are here. You know what Jesus says? He says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And then he points to his disciples. He says, it's them who do the will of God. You want to be the mother, of brother of Jesus? You want to be related to Jesus? Do the will of God. You want to be in the family of God? Make disciples. You want to be a mother of a multitude make disciples, give yourself to service in his kingdom. The children of the barren one can be more than the children of the one who is married. And then third, as a single person, another benefit of being alone, as a single person, you can have more dependence on God than a married person. It's not necessarily will, but there's an opportunity there. Um, When you're married and you have a bad day it's easy to call your wife and say, hey, cheer me up, right? Give me a kiss when I get home. It's nice. It's a great benefit. When I have a bad day, when I've kind of failed at work, when I've let people down at work, I go home and you know what? Maybe not, you know, sometimes not John Kellis, but at least Rainer is going to run and give me a huge hug and say, Daddy, I'm so glad to see you. And yeah, that, that's nice. But as a single person, you don't have that. And, and, and you're thinking, yeah, thanks for rubbing it in my face. You know? <laughs> Let me borrow Rainer for a couple days. Please do, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I just want you to do this. As a single person, because you cannot distract yourself with that kind of relationship, and look, you need relationships, you need community, you need friends that you can call after a rough day. I'm not saying you should always be alone, but there is a kind of knowledge of God that comes when you're by yourself. And this is true for you if you're married or if you're single. There is a knowledge of God that can only come when you're alone. Our Lord models this for us. There's many times there at the ministry of Jesus that he went and he got by himself because there's a kind of depth of knowledge of God that when you are alone and you are seeking God, that, that God can show himself to you in, in the sweetest and most wonderful ways through his word, through prayer, You know, so many single people in Atlanta, when they're alone, at worst, they're spending their alone time doing something that's sinful. At best, they're spending their alone time watching Netflix. What if we were a church, you were a people, single people here, that spent your time alone, again, there's a time for rest, there's a time for leisure, but but if you spent the bulk of your time alone pursuing the Lord, seeking to know him more deeply, seeking to know him more intimately, A few weeks ago in staff, maybe a few months ago actually, I asked our staff, I said, hey guys, tell me about a time in your life when you were full and when you were just happy and you really just had a lot of joy. And Matt Nolan, he said, you know what? There was one time when I was single and I had this dog and I lived in Tampa. And I would take my dog to this park and there was a little pond at the park and he would let the dog run and swim in the pond. And he said, I would just sit there for maybe an hour or more every day and just pray. And here he is. This is, what, 10 years later, 12 years later. And that time is so fresh to him and so real to him. It was something that would have been, with all due respect to Nicole, hard for him to have found now that he's got all these, you know, kids and wife and all these responsibilities around him. But it was a time in his life where he didn't waste that moment that God had given him of being alone, there is a kind of dependence that you can find in your single life that is good and that is a gift. Look, some of you will never marry, and that's okay, you're whole, you're complete. God desires to bring glory to himself through you in ways that some of us who are married will never be able to achieve. But there are some of you who will marry, you're just not married yet. I just wanna say to you, don't waste your singleness. Don't waste this season waiting around for when I become a full-blooded Christian and get married. No, you are whole now. You were made for God's glory now. There are ways that you can serve the Lord now that you won't be able to someday when marriage and children come along. I want to spend the rest of our time, and I won't spend as much time here, but again, we got three more weeks talking about the glory of God in marriage. The glory of God in marriage. Talk about the glory of God in singleness. the glory of God in marriage. The first thing I want for all of you who are married or hope to be married, there's something that has to happen, and it's it's a bit of a changing of your mind. It's a changing of your mindset going into marriage. You know, Paige and I, we do our fair share of premarital counseling, uh, pre-engagement counseling. We have a seminar coming up on Saturday if you're in love, looking to get married. We'd love to talk to you. It's coming up on Saturday morning. Um, But there's a mindset shift, and we talk about this in the seminar. There's a mindset shift that has to take place, and if it will, it will revolutionize your marriage. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if, if you do this, and if you live by this, and this happens in your life, then your marriage is going to be fine. Your marriage is going to be ha- healthy, and, and it's going to accomplish something that brings glory to God. And that is exactly what I've been talking about this entire time. Marriage, the mind shift that has to happen in your mind, is for you to understand that marriage. Marriage is primarily not an institution of your own self-fulfillment. Marriage is primarily not an institution that fits the next narrative part of the story that you want to write for yourself, but primarily you are going into marriage. You are getting married. I hope that you're pursuing marriage in order that God may be glorified in your life. And if that Mind shift will happen if you will approach your wife or your husband, not primarily as someone who is there to serve you, as someone who is there to fill you, if you will approach the institution and the life you're building together is primarily not something that's going to fulfill the great narrative that you're writing for yourself that's going to be so awesome that everybody's going to be talking about someday. But if you will approach the institution, if you will approach your future spouse as someone through uh, through whom and, and with whom you are going to bring glory to God. It'll revolutionize your marriage. It'll revolutionize your whole life. Marriage is primarily not about you. It is about God's glory. Look, guys, when you pursue your wife, and she's lovely, and she's easy, and she's fun, you know what? Of course, who wouldn't do that? Everybody does that. That's natural. But when you pursue her when she's less than lovely... And less than easy and difficult. There is something about that that is that is beautiful, that is strange, that speaks to a different kingdom. And ladies, when you love and honor and respect your husband, when he's strong and he's made a good decision, he's doing well. Man, of course, who wouldn't want to have a man like that? But when you are with him and love him, when he's failed and when he's let you down, when he's been selfish, there's something about that that is beautiful and different and strange. If you really understand that everything in your marriage is for God's glory, then marriage and even the bad things in marriage become an opportunity for you. When my dad was in college, Uh, His two best buddies, one of them is Ed Butler, who's a member here. His other best friend was a guy named Ed Denton. My dad only hung out with guys named Ed when he was in college. But a guy named Ed Denton, young guys, my dad played football at Auburn, Ed and Ed played football, and they're all on a team together, good young athletic guys, all graduate, get married, happy, excited, got their whole life ahead of them, married these great girls. One of them, Ed Denton. Married a lady, wonderful woman, and they had children together, had a couple children, and then right after that, she was diagnosed with MS. And you think about that. You know, all these plans that he had, it was an incredibly debilitating disease. All these plans that he had, you know, they want to go do this, they want to do that. She couldn't do that. She became so weak, her body became so debilitated, she couldn't parent the children. It, it, it was an incredible uh, cut for his, just, you know, who he had to be as a parent. He had to really pick up all the slack there. It was an incredible just blow to him in his career. He couldn't really pursue his career like he had dreamed because, you know, of course he had to take care of his wife, he had to take care of his children. He had to do all this stuff, he was so stretched. But what do you do in that situation? And here's the deal, if you're self-fulfillment ethic, you're saying, look, this is not the story that I signed up for. She is not living up to her end of the deal. But if you're truly in it for the glory of God, then all of a sudden that, even that, as hard as it was for him, became an opportunity. And I just want to say, and this is all happening when I was a child. This is she's been dead for 20 years, 15 years maybe, and um, this is all happening when I was a child. But but he graciously loved and cared for and pursued and honored her throughout her entire time that she was sick. And you know, afterward, he didn't like write a book about it and try to say, I've done this great thing. He just, he just was a guy that was doing a thing to please his Lord. And you know what, his kids saw that, I saw that, his friends saw that, and it was glorious. It was right. He, he understood marriage. He understood God's purpose in marriage as hard as it was. But it was was glorious. Marriage is primarily not about fulfilling your narrative. It's about bringing glory to God. And the second thing, and we're going to talk a lot more about this. But as you pursue God's glory in marriage, remember that you are called to pursue God's glory in your spouse. Husbands, in particular, commanded in Ephesians 5 to, to sanctify your own wife, to bring about the sanctification, the glory of your wife. And and wives, I would say this to you too. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3 talk about wives being sanctifying agents in their husbands. So I just want to ask the question is that happening in your household? Women, are you is there glory happening in your husband's heart? Are Are you pushing your husbands? Are you encouraging your husbands toward godliness? Men, are you taking the spiritual mantle of your home? I just want to say this too. Dating men are you taking the spiritual mantle of your dating relationship? And one of the things that I've often said, here, here's, you want, you want a rule for dating? Here it is, men always return your date home more holy than she was when you picked her up. Guys, if you'll just do that, you can date all you want. <laughs> if your mindset will be, I'm gonna bring her back home more holy, more like Christ, And you should. That's what Jesus calls you to do as a husband. That's what Jesus has called you to be. Are you pursuing this in your home? Are you pursuing this in your dating? Are you pursuing God's holiness in one another? Are you just taking from one another? So pursuing the glory of God in your marriage, understanding that marriage is not about self-fulfillment. It's about God's glory, pursuing God's glory in your spouse. And we're about out of time, but I just wanted to finish. Here's the third point. I told you I'd maybe get to, and it's maybe the most important. It's how. How do you do this? Right? Okay, I've said it. Guys, be married for the glory of God. Be single for the glory of God. You good? You good? All right, let's go. Should we just leave? Should we dismiss? All right, we're done. We're all in it. Or maybe we're, about, we're going to take communion here in a second. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, I bet you when I eat that little piece of bread and drink that cup, I am going to be strengthened and everything in my life. That's the Copernicus moment. And the the Lord's Supper does strengthen us in those ways, but it's not this mystical, magical thing. Now, how does this happen in your life? How does this shift in your heart? And the answer is this. You begin to reorient the way you think. You begin to to renew and understand the way you think. When you realize this, when you realize that you are a spouse yourself. You are a spouse of the Lord. If you've ever heard me do a wedding, I I always mention that it's no accident, or I usually mention that it's no accident that the ministry of Jesus begins at a wedding. It's interesting. The ministry of Jesus begins at a wedding, and that's always an interesting scene. If you ever hear me do a wedding, I oftentimes talk about this. You know, Jesus says, he's there at the wedding, Canaan, in Galilee, and he says to his mother, when she asks him about the, the wine, she says, he says, my time has not yet come. But then right after he says that, you notice it's a weird story, John 2, right after he says, my time has not yet come, what does he do? He turns water into wine. He, he starts his ministry, he starts his earthly ministry, he does this amazing miracle. What does that mean? What does he mean when he says my time has not yet come? He can't mean my ministry is not going to begin right now because the next thing he does is begin his earthly ministry. What is Jesus saying when he says my time has not yet come? And here's what, he, here's what he's saying, here's what he means. He's there at a wedding and he's thinking about this guy and this gal that are getting married, that are gonna pursue one another and he knows the reason he's come. And you know why Jesus has come? He's come to pursue his bride. He's come to capture his bride. He's come to to gather his church. He's come to rescue his church. He's come to save his church. He's come to call men and women like you and me who are ruined by our sin to life and to fellowship with God through him. He's come to serve his church. He's come to be uh, humiliated for the sake of his church. Ultimately, he's come to die He's going to be crushed by his father's wrath for the sake of his church. And he was willing to do all of that. And you know what? He does more than just that. He also, by the power of his spirit, as we were just saying, he keeps his church. He empowers his church. He leads his church. He encourages his church. He fulfills his church. Jesus is even now still working and he's at this wedding and realizing that now this anticipation between the man and the woman who have gotten married, now their time has come. They're finally together. They're finally married. It's finally done. It's finally complete. But he knows that his time has not yet come. And Jesus' time of course won't fully come. He won't fully and ultimately be united with his bride until of course he is with his bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the new heavens and new earth. And with greater anticipation, I want you to hear this, with greater anticipation than Jesus even had that day in Cana. He is looking you right now, he is looking at you right now if you're in Christ, saying, I cannot wait for our time to come. For us to be together. For all to be made well. For all to be made right. That is my time. And as a groom longs and as a bride longs for their wedding day, Jesus longs for that day with you and with me when he can pour out his love forever and forever on us and continue to show his love to us. And if you believe that, and if you begin to see, man, you are a spouse. You are a spouse who has a groom, a bridegroom that is waiting for you, that will change you, that will move you, that will move you to repentance, that will move you to faith, that will move you to a love for God that will desire His glory. And look, in case you're coming here tonight thinking, no, the way that I prove my love for God is my righteousness, I'm going to be righteous, I'm going to show God how good I am. No, 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 don't you see? In Jesus' economy where our sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more, and his grace proves and displays his glory, it's when the spouse is difficult. It's when the spouse loves the difficult spouse that glory is displayed, and it's the same thing with Jesus. And so if you come tonight broken, humiliated, lost, look, Jesus, your your bridegroom wants to, to love you tonight and bring you in. And so I pray, as we close, I, let us pray that our eyes and our hearts would be open to this, that we would see this, and that we believe it. Pray with me. Father, I, I do pray tonight that our dark eyes, hard hearts, would be open And that we would see that we are a bride. We have one who is pursuing us. And who's pursued us to the end. Who's pursued us through everything. Who made himself poor. Who made himself nothing. Who became a servant. Who, Father, even despite our faithlessness and sinfulness and hard-heartedness pursues us. And Father, I pray, Father, that by that love and by that gospel, you would break and change our hearts. You would quicken our hearts. You would make alive our hearts. That we would have a a Copernicus moment. That we would see how small and needy and broken we are and how eternal and glorious and big our loving Savior is. And how good he is and how deep and wide and high and rich His love is for us. Open our hearts to this, Father. Open our eyes to this. And I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678 678- 678 nine five one nine zero four one or feel free to email Jason at Jason at ChristCovenant.com.